my philosophy Any child can see Good is evil And therefore Evil is good Welcome to a grand big ol' episode, am I right, Christine? Uh, I guess so. I mean, yes, I've been planning it for ages. So as everybody knows, usually right around this time as we start recording and saying, I'm Emily. Uh, I'm Christine. Uh, I say, and this is episode something something, and then I quickly scramble to look it up. Well, I'll save you the time. I decided to do that right before I hit record, because I said to Christine, is this episode 150? And Christine, what did you say? I don't ever know, or maybe I said you would know. Essentially, uh, it turns out it is. Woo, cannons. Fireworks. That's why fireworks are happening right outside our window this weekend, I think. That's it's all because of episode reason. 150. It is our, uh, what do you think that's called? 150th um, anniversary. It's got to be like your sesquicentenary. Sesquicentennial? It's our sensitive tenuals. It's our sensitive tenuals. Yeah, so yay us. How about that? Yeah, thanks. Congratulations to you on. 10 plus years is a shining Indeed. star. And again, if we factor in stocking stuffers, we're actually at 917 episodes. Never forget. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, what have we have planned on this very special episode, Christine? Well, to celebrate 150, as any person Indeed. would, we're Indeed. looking at the super popular, <laughs> well-regarded and received uh, Mary Riley from 19... 19- You're supposed Mar- to whisper, right? It's supposed to you can't oh. say it out loud, Christine. You have to whisper, Mary Riley. Mary Riley. Mary Riley. I can't. I cannot capture the, the beautiful raspy whisper of a John Malkovich. Um, Who can? And also, m- is it called Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Mary Shelley's. It's a very merry episode. <laughs> oh, that's true. All the Marys yeah, came out cute. to play today. That's cute. Mm-hmm. That's cute for us. <laughs> and this was a very, like, I had said to Christine, as you all heard on the last episode or episode two, it goes, I said, I'm like, you know, I've never seen this movie. And you talk about it a lot. And I know it's out there in the world on HBO Max. So let's do Mary Riley. Think of something to pair it with. And I, I am, I absolutely love that you suggested Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, I had not seen it in a long time. And it, um, it, it, it is a weirdly good companion piece to this movie. I think they really say a lot about their times in different ways. It is, and I feel like I watched them for the first time relatively close together. Mm, okay. So they're kind of linked in my mind. There's a lot sure. of reasons why you might link them in your mind. I Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've got... And let, let's, let's run through the list. You have female authors for both... Both of the source material are based on novels by women. Yes. Both set in the 1900, uh, 1800s, 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, both um, adaptations or spins on adaptations of obviously very classic novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot about the dual- duality of man, wouldn't you yes. say? Wouldn't you say, Christine? Yes. Mm. Yeah, and they're, they're classic, like, universal Gothic. monsters, oh, yeah. too. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Frankenstein. So they're kind of, I, I would say 
more feminine takes. Definitely Mary Riley, but even this this uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, and um, one thing I'm gonna I'm gonna nerd out for a moment. Ooh. I decided I wanted to be like extra because you know I knew it was our 150th episode the whole time. Yep. Uh, so I read both books. I had Did read you... Frankenstein Wait, years ago. You you read the the Mary Riley book? I read the Mary Riley book. I need you to tell me everything. Oh, okay. I mean, just like, sit well, back. Should I read it? Is it explicit? Is so? <laughs> is it is it is this an accurate uh, um, adaptation? Yes, I would say this is a. Um, what's interesting? I started reading Mary Riley. And it starts very, both, actually, um, not so much, much both, but, like, the, this very rarely starts uh, with the, the way Mary Riley's done, it, it is her journals. So mm-hmm. it is her right, journaling what's happening, and it opens with the rat story. Okay. That is how it starts. Uh, and I'm thinking like, oh, okay, this is like a dark, interesting, it's kind of exciting way to start this. Where's it going to go? Um, I don't want to blow my, uh, spoil everything on everything, but I, I think you might enjoy Mary Riley as a book much more than I did the same way. I'm going to say it. You probably enjoy Mary Riley as a movie far more than I did. <gasps> but okay. I, I... Fine, fine, sure, great. Also, is it is it like is the book explicit though? Like for real? Is it? Is Are it you absolute saying porn? So okay, I am now. Let me say this about Mary Riley because let's. I guess we'll start with Mary Riley. Uh, would you want to start with Mary Riley? Even though yeah, it's, sure. Why yeah, not? Why, why not? Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched Mary Riley, and again, I I knew little of it. I knew again that it has some kind of fans, but I knew how it was received. And I, I sit down to watch it. I'm I'm excited because I really don't know what I'm getting. And I'm watching this movie and I and I'm seeing a lot of the problems and I and I hate I hated that I had to agree with some of the general mainstream criticism of the movie, which is that the casting just does not work to me. <gasps> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it just doesn't. I don't I don't I like I'm fine with Julia Roberts as a movie star and should be cast in many things. I don't understand her using her in this movie and i won't blame it on her per se um i don't think she is bad by any means i just don't understand i don't understand mary riley as a as a character in some ways and a big part of that is the age because this movie does something that i think is very silly it has a moment when they say you're not even 18 Julia Roberts in this movie is very clearly well over 18. Um, it's funny because in like one of the things that I like, realized about like a lot of Julia Roberts-ness of this era was that she was always so much younger than we all thought she was. Mm-hmm. I think she's like 30 in this movie, but she seemed like she just, that seems so old in some ways. And it's just more that, and this is true of this movie to an extent, I'm going to talk about the book in a minute. I'm watching this thinking... It would have been really cool. I feel like this character is is supposed to be 18. She is supposed to be very young, very innocent, but kind of wise behind her years, but still at the same time very, like, um, corruptible or not. And 
casting somebody who is older and a woman as opposed to a girl undoes that, which could be fine if it wasn't about a girl. If it was about a 35-year-old housemaid in the 1800s who has lived a very different restrained life of years of Victorian restraint, isn't that interesting to then suddenly kind of be awakened by whatever sexy weirdness is going on with Hyde. And I don't think either one gets there because I think the movie decides we're just going to pretend she's 18, but can't show that at all. So when I'm reading the book, in the book, I'm I'm going, as I'm reading, I'm casting it differently. And I have like sort of, um, you know, I had as Mary Riley, I had what's her name from Fear the Walking Dead? Like that young, like uh, Alicia, she's Australian, I forget her name. But I had like a, like a younger, like seemingly like, again, like big, like Elizabeth Olsen-y type, like big mm-hmm. eyes and just like stuff is back there in there, but there's a, there's a wall and all that. And then in the book at a certain point, they say, Fear, I unless I misread this, it seemed very clear that at some point they say she is 22 years old, which again, kind of changed everything for me because 22 and 22 today is very young to me, but 22 and 18, 18 feels like that is much older because you are past certain years of things. So anyway, I read the reason I read the book watching this movie. And I'm, and again, I didn't, I did not hate this movie by any means. I think there is a lot of good in it. Um, but I'm watching it thinking there is there is a sexier story here. There is a there is a lot going on underneath that I'm not getting. Like, and I think I should this should be really sexy, but it doesn't feel really sexy to me. I bet there's a lot of subtext in the book that comes out. And I read the book and I was kind of bored. And I thought, oh, oh no, you know what? The movie was actually a little sexier than the book to me. Oh. Well, that's surprising. The first time I ever heard this story, well before I ever watched the movie, is I read this beautiful piece of fan fiction Mm. that was absolutely filthy and depraved and awful. And I went, this is, this is beautiful. Round of applause to this author, everyone. And then watched, uh, watched this movie, Mary Riley, and was like, oh, Jesus, she, she just... She just went ahead and wrote this movie, which is <laughs> fine. It's fine. I, I, I did not. It was a Jekyll and Hyde story. So, I mean, who was I to think it was just straight original fiction? But um, it definitely uh, definitely an explicit version of this is, is very easy to do, I think. <laughs> and I, I didn't necessarily need, like, outright sex by any means. But I think of... Like, okay, let me give, like, one of the sexiest moments I can think of in movies from the 90s. It's in the piano when um, Harvey Keitel, like, finds the hole in Holly Hunter's stocking. Like, that. Like, it's this, like, very specific moment of body, but it's still really, and it turns into a sex scene. But, like, that's the sexy part of it, not the actual sex scene. And I felt like in Mary Riley, I didn't, I felt like this movie wanted to give me those moments and I just don't get any of them um it it, there is something very uh and again I, I a good chunk of that to me is that I just I don't really understand who Julia Roberts is in this environment and how uh how experienced she is or how not how what what does she want I don't really know in this movie and I think and I really thought, oh, well, that's going to be on the page. I'm going to understand what Mary wants in the book, and I'm going to 
find it, you know, more exciting. And I just didn't because I thought the book for me, I don't know, it was it was not I, I was expecting something that I didn't get. And and I again, I don't think it's a bad book by any means. Uh, it's a good read. I just I was thought we were going somewhere that we weren't going. And that's on me. You know, that's on me. Oh, uh, well, I I didn't read the book. Um, I have been thinking about it because I need to pick a new audiobook soon. Um, I don't, I, I disagree with pretty much all of your feelings about the movie. <gasps> okay, go for I it. I think Julia Roberts uh, disappears into this role. I forget that it's her. Um, she is the perfect balance of headstrong and meek, and she gets bolder and bolder the more she feels seen by this, this guy. And it's, I think it's great. I think it's, I, I understood what she was doing all the time. Um, she is, but that's as much as she understands it. Because I mm. think for me, that's part of the text is that she doesn't understand why she feels so compelled yeah. to do these things. But also she's the type of person that's going to put together every little scrap of money she has and go down and demand a proper burial for her yeah. mom. Like, I just, I felt like it all made sense. And I, I loved her the her battling or dealing with what she felt for this dude like she likes she liked all aspects of him which is interesting and weird and they tie that into how she's willing to admit that her dad isn't always a terrible person he's mm. just a terrible person when he drinks and they kind of then tie that into the Jekyll Hyde thing where totally. where one of them is just this 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 bad version that comes out sometimes not to, I'm not co-signing that as being okay. I'm just saying that that to me is what it was about. Oh, I, I completely agree on that. Cause I think it is very much, um, it, it goes, it, it looks at the Jekyll and Hyde story itself from a really interesting angle, which is that, which is what does it mean to be good or bad? And yeah. it's not always, there and and I and that and I understood that and I I liked that aspect of I thought and I thought that to me, um, I was really intrigued by the idea of the the pain she went through with an abusive father, how, how she really did uh, process that, which was really rough life. But she she is she is smart and she is a hard worker and she has a brain to under to be able to understand what she feels maybe not understand but to be able to understand that she is can think about well is he a bad man or or no i i don't i'm not i don't hate him but i i understand that what he did was terrible and i i liked seeing how hyde and jekyll understood that that jekyll watching him listen to her tell that story i i was into it i was there because it i could see why this would feed into what he is researching and what he is studying because it is this this window into that um and that aspect of it i did find really interesting um i don't know i just also I got a little bored and didn't want to be bored. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, and that's totally like that's valid. But like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't share that at all. It was, I thought it was as fun and engaging the second time, and and 
I thought it was just visually stunning. and It's beautiful. It is a beautiful it's... film. I'm just going to say at this point, like the fact that people don't talk about Stephen Frears as one of the greatest yeah. filmmakers of our time is fucking ridiculous. I just don't understand yeah. it. The, the way that this movie looks, I, I, the geography, all the geography, I get like, so, so here's the thing. Like if maybe you need to be absolutely fucking baked to enjoy this movie because i i've watched it incredibly high both times and i love watching her walk around i love her watching her walk around in in his in the back operating theater oh man that operating theater is grand walking back and forth across it and and i totally get like if you're like i why am i watching julia roberts walk slowly and quietly through this and then walk back through it totally get that and i'm not gonna not gonna say you're wrong for for finding that to be tedious i just i didn't i i found it extremely engaging and everything with her really engaging i i I even said as it started i was like i i just she just disappears into this role (laughs) but apparently i'm one of the only people that think that I'd say you're in the minority in general, and that's okay because quite often, it, it, it by no means does that mean that you are not correct in that. Obviously, it's your feelings, so you are correct in however you feel. Um, and I and I am glad that does work because I don't think it's a wash. I don't I don't think she is giving a bad performance. I just cannot, and it's not just like oh, it's Julia Roberts. Like I can. I can get past an actor doing this. What's funny is as we were watching and like, um, like I remember when this movie came out, like I used to read the national Enquirer back around this time of year. Oh, yeah. Back in the, back in the day. And I remember like there were tidbits cause this was a pretty infamously difficult shoot, uh, that her and Malkovich did not get along. This was filmed like on all of these really beautiful historical real locations, so a lot of the filming was probably very like cautious and you they I'm guessing they used a lot of natural lighting so you had mm-hmm. to deal with weather and like all of this like it did not seem like a very fun shoot and it went over budget and this was like also the height of Julia Roberts as a tabloid fixture interesting so every you know and it, it it's i mean i guess today like we still have obviously like paparazzi who follow around celebrities and catch them all in all their moments but it's if you are a little bit younger than us and weren't there for the 90s like julia roberts was the biggest movie star of of the decade and she also was somebody who had a very um dynamic personal life she and basically she dated other leading men so it was always exciting to read about anything that was going on with her in a relationship because it was one of her co-stars. And isn't that exciting to a hungry mm-hmm. audience? And um, so with this, like, I don't think there was there was any... I think she was she might have been married to Lyle Lovett at this time. But just her and Malkovich did not get along. Uh, Stephen Fears, who had done Dangerous Liaisons with Malkovich, with Glenn Close, mm-hmm. most of the production team and the screenwriter all came from that movie. So there was, pr- I'm sure there was a lot of different reasons for tension on set and things, people not necessarily clicking and all of that. Um, but one of, in the trivia, we're watching and I'm, I'm like, and I really like, I, I, wanted, I wanted to totally buy Julia Roberts in this movie. I had no reason not to. Um, but I always remember the one bit of trivia, which was like, how they had to keep like 
quote unquote uglying her up by like dyeing her eyebrows and doing things so she wasn't that attractive and it it's like she i think one of the things that is just odd about um about her in this movie is like she doesn't have to not be attractive like she is a maid so she shouldn't be like properly groomed necessarily but there's nothing like in the script like the the fact that Glenn Close's character says like ah you you'd make a good lady in in my stable right here like it it makes sense that she's attractive like so just things that probably production thought they had to do that they didn't have to do but Brandon made a joke as we're watching he's like well you know it could have been it could have been worse they could have cast Nicole Kidman as the suffering maid and sure enough in the casting notes like apparently one of the people in the running was Uma Thurman yeah. and Nicole Kidman Nicole Kidman <laughs> I knew I had seen the Nicole Kidman thing and and honestly I, I probably would have seen it sooner if it had been Nicole because I Same. just like yeah. her more um but yeah, I I don't know. I know that people really didn't like her in this part, and I think I thought she looked wide-eyed and and innocent, and and I, I all of it were all of it worked for me. She looked the part. I thought she looked the part. She looked like a a scrub girl to me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like her, she wasn't wearing makeup. Her her skin was was white and dewy. I don't I don't know. Like that's just. I think she was doing everything she could. Um, I don't know. It just, in some cases, you watch a movie and say, like, but that just wasn't the right actor for that part. And that and that's how I feel about it. Um, just that I, I could not lose myself in it. I, I wanted to. I could here and there. I'll say, like, there were times when I could get deep enough into it. Um, but now, now, how do you think um, on Malkovich, who's giving, like, a very the- interesting take on Jekyll and Hyde? maybe maybe my favorite one of my favorite top five because i recently watched dangerous liaisons and he's mm, just exceptional so in that yeah. and then i watched con air like that's <laughs> right you're on that melka kick and he is exceptional in that as well i uh, i like him i like him a lot and i don't know that i knew that until mm. very recently yeah because because i think sometimes for me, it feels like, oh, he just showed up and he was being John Malkovich, whether or not the role called for it sure. or not. But to me, and at least these three examples that I just said, um, there is there is nuance to it. And it's a diff. it's still Malkovich bullshit, but it's like kind of differenty, depending like he was full on Malkovich and dangerous liaisons, but he was a different Malkovich and, and this mm-hmm. But, well, and yeah, he's a different I, Malkovich twice because he is, I think, very true. effectively and very interestingly playing two roles. Uh, that, that's true. He, I, I think that it is. I thought it was very good. I, I, I understand like the whole Zach and I were talking like Superman about Clark Kent thing. Well, <laughs> right? We were we were talking about it, and I was like, it's clearly the same person. And he's like, yeah, but why would you ever think that? Right. If you were, to, if you knew a guy. And you were like, yeah, I know this guy. I know this guy well. I see this guy literally every day. And this guy was like, oh, a new guy is going to show up. And then you you see the new guy and like, you're like, he kind of looks like this guy. But why would you ever assume it was the yeah. same person? <laughs> and it's true. And I like what they did with his contacts because mm-hmm. when he's, you know, when he's not 
a bad guy. He his little his eyes are very tiny. Like it's contacts that make his his pupils look small, and then yep. his eyes are just big and blown out and dark. And it and it's it's that's very effective. And and his hair and he, he I mean I get it. It's like transformative and stuff the way he carries himself. Yeah. And it, it it's I think it's very good. I think it's very interesting. I do think he this it honestly the hottest the absolute hottest he ever is ever. Um, in my opinion, but for me, again, I think Julia Roberts steals the show. <laughs> I think she's the, for me, she's the best part of it. I love watching her. I like her with the garden. Her wanting to plant the flowers is just super adorable. I I think all of it is really cute, and I think how like bold yet cautious, cautious she mm-hmm. is is just really really well done and really a nice balance of like what was expected from not just a woman at the time, but like you know a servant. Yeah. And, and that's something I, I really do find interesting. Uh, and I think I think the film and book both go into it a lot of just understanding um, the place of the servants. Because yeah. it, I think it, it's clear in the movie, it's, it's more detailed in the book of how you have um, Poole, who is like the head servant, who has a different stature in the house than Mary Riley or the cook or even Michael, baby Michael Sheen. You know, I know. Michael, she's so cute. The first time I saw it, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, what is, he's so, he's what are we doing? Here? I love Michael Sheen. Uh, but that there is this very clear that even within this house, and I mean in society, because Mary Riley is a is a woman, is a poor woman of a low class, and the permission that has to get granted, and the maneuvers around which Mary basically can't always like I, th- I think she i can't remember in the, i think she says in the movie how like when jekyll is surprised doesn't know that she can read because it's unusual for a woman of her stature to read and mm-hmm. she even says she's like well right i i don't like to tell everybody else about it because it's not generally a good thing if yep. i can read and the cook can't then the cook looks at me differently um that that i think is really interesting because that is and I, I, this kind of ties into Frankenstein, too, where Frankenstein, one thing about it, as I was also reading it and watching it, is how rich the Frankensteins are, right? That they are of this incredible wealth where they have this giant castle and they have at their disposal servants that can drop everything yep. and do whatever they want for them. Uh, and y- you get a little bit of that kind of it, – because it's never class warfare, um, but it's, and, uh, Mary Shelley was of the upper class mm-hmm. and the, I think what's interesting is I don't know that in Frankenstein, she was writing with that awareness of, oh yeah, this is, this is kind of a rich people are assholes type story. I think that comes out, but I don't think she is actively looking at that and putting that in there. Um, but it becomes a big part of Frankenstein of the of the monster or whatever you want to call him and I think that is kind of an interesting tie because they're they're both there whereas this one is obviously from the point of view of the serving class or whatever you would call that in, at that time uh that Jekyll and Hyde can destroy and and I Jekyll just as much as Hyde are murdering people that's right? a really interesting point that I hadn't um I really hadn't considered in in, by and by that i mean i hadn't i hadn't put that together at all but that might be i think you might have cracked the case as to why maybe i don't want to interesting too forgiving 
mm, but maybe yeah. why I'm so on board because because of the angle it takes yeah. and it does it does say something about the what what you can get away with when you have money to throw around oh, yeah and, and that's not that's not even that's text that's not even subtext right right that, that even... is and glenn close who my god For in this sure. movie should have gotten Holy an oscar shit. this should have been her fucking oscar which she still what? hasn't gotten i so i didn't know i didn't know I didn't know she was so good. I Dangerous Liaison, and I went, oh, wait, do I get Glenn Close now? And, and then I, you're like, I no, I get Glenn Close playing a fucking drag queen. She she was just she was just oh, in it, right? Yeah. So good. And it's one of those things where I was so bummed when I realized, oh, no, we're only getting, yep. like, two scenes of her. That's it. Yep. She's, spoiler alert, dead now. That's it. That's all we get. Because she does. She just walks in and... It it's it is great because it does breathe in different life and it is very you have the wealthy educated class of Dr. Jekyll, you have the kind of quote unquote noble serving class with Mary and the other yep. servants who are all presented as seemingly liking their jobs and you know, having no issue with their stature because where else can they go? Uh, that they are thankful to be in a house where they are fairly taken care of, all things considered. And that, but then to get Glenn Close and the other side of it, which is, well, here's, you know, we're sort of one step above serving class because we are, you know, we, we are working for ourselves and we are earning yeah. more money and we have a different set of things available to us, but we're also the most disposable. Yep. It, it, that, that to me, yes, that is very interesting. And, and the way that that's handled and navigated. And I, and I, I feel like the, the it just, the story at least presented in the movie is gives you reason after reason of why Mary should mind her own business and why it's not her place and why she should just shut up. And, and she challenges all of that. And and I really, I think it's really great in that, from that perspective, it's, and it's interesting and it's not just this. And I I mean, it's, it, it, it makes sense that it was based on a novel written by a woman because that, that like heads, female Mm. headstrong character is very, much something that you would get in a story a retelling yeah. like this and the watching of it right the, yeah. that there is somebody uh, yeah. that is watching and seeing everything uh and you don't you don't notice them and i i have not read jekyll i think i might have read jekyll and hyde when i was like in high school for fun but i haven't read i don't remember the novel at all mm-hmm. um i think there is like a reference at some point to the servants and i think pool is a, a significant character in it but that that beauty of like right they're always there and you you don't see them because you don't think of them as people essentially so you don't think of their stories their their background characters or like um what what's the uh what's the term for like video games the oh the non playable characters that's, that's yeah. it yeah, yeah yeah like that's kind of what they should be right in this um so to you know see like oh no but here's all their observations um but yeah it it, it the like the scene where Mary comes to the brothel and there's a room full of blood. It, you know, it looks like Freddy Krueger has been in there with Tina. And then you see the the rat cage. My God, that moment, I was like, w- that is fucked up. Yeah. Right? Because it's a scene or two after she has told this awful story about how her father put her, locked her in a closet with mm-hmm. a live rat that gave her scars for life. And you don't fully know what happened. You assume Hyde was playing some very unpleasant game and... Uh, had a rat basically kill a sex worker based on the amount of blood you see, but you never find out. 
And I think for me, that was par- part of my challenge with this movie was that scene happens and I am jaw to the floor of, oh, this is the kind of movie we're going with. Even if I don't, I don't want to see a rat killing a woman, like, but, oh, this is what we're, we're we've, what, what has happened. And it just felt like the movie hits this note of, yeah, this is how dark we are. And then kind of just keeps going boring around like it just but it doesn't I don't know the momentum doesn't stay it it ebbs and flows and then I'm back to just walk just I I don't even know like because I can't I'm trying to remember the plot of this I watched it maybe two weeks ago at this point and it just felt like that it felt like I had moments of oh this is this is the story we're telling and this is again why I wanted immediately as I watched this movie I'm like I want to read this book because I and I, as far as I remember, I don't think that shot is in the book. Like, and so it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, okay. But it, it just doesn't, I don't know, it, it gives me things, but it doesn't, uh, I've been watching a lot of Top Chef, Top Chef, so I feel like it's very much that. Like, I don't know, there was like, I had a bite here that was delicious and all the flavors came together well, but then you had this, uh, you know, overcooked steak right over here and it really kind of killed the mood. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. <laughs> I, I guess I get that. I mean, we all are, are looking for different things and we're all in different places when we watch something. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, maybe I was in the right place for it the first time I saw it. And, I mean, I was shocked how well it held up. It was, second. I think, watching this, anyway. I thought, boy, this movie was very... Again, I didn't love this movie, but for anybody to have said this was one of the worst movies of the year, nominated for a Razzie, all that shit, no, 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 by no means. Um, again, I, I, you know, we, we, we disagree. I don't think Julia Roberts is cast correctly, but to say she is giving a, a bad performance, I don't agree with. Yeah, that's a little too extreme. To yeah. say anything about this movie is bad, like you can have a problem with the casting or the pacing or the story that they chose to tell or any stuff like that. But like, that's when like art is subjective, but also like, I, I mean, come on, look, look at the fucking movie. Art is subjective. Yes, it, it is. Except to say, there is a difference when you can say, I don't know, things is a bad movie because it's not really a movie. It's it's a bunch of guys with a video camera throwing yes. things at it and and yep. uh, telling a story that doesn't make any sense. Um, the, the, let's let's think of what's a, what's a bad movie we can both agree on. Super Supergirl, which you know what I'm saying that I know there are people that love Supergirl. There, there are parts of Supergirl that work, but as a yes. whole, Supergirl yeah. isn't a successful film. Random performances in Supergirl that are fantastic. Yeah, uh, uh, Peter Cook and Faye Dunaway. Like there's great things in Supergirl. Great things in it. Yep. But you're gonna watch that movie with. The story of a teenage of a superhero who who flies, lands on Earth, and decides to drop everything for a really for Craig Wasson. Really, you're gonna tell me that movie is worthy? That that is a good story with a good ending and all of that? No, we we we're not gonna agree to disagree on that one. You're wrong on that one. Um, but yes, to say Mary Riley is not a well-made movie, it is. Again, it is stunning. Uh, the the set pieces are are beautiful. The you feel like you just want to like slip into that set and and read all of those books, right? There's like shots in a library, and, and yeah. you know that every book on that shelf is an actual book. It it, it is when when we started rewatching it immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, like burned into my brain everything 
when she has to step up to get like plates out of the cabinet when they're in the kitchen like i think about the way she it looks for her to have to step up to get so high on the it's mm. so opulent in the way that 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 freer's like films that opulence where it's still very dreary and it's still very realistic yeah. but everything is big and there's so much stuff everywhere and 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 it does paint a very accurate picture of why like Mary would would have no issue with that job because of what her fucking life was yeah. like before and it and it is she gets a nice bed and like mm-hmm. everybody she works with seems I mean Poole seems like an asshole but everybody's pretty nice and mm-hmm. she seems to have a good thing going I mean obviously she doesn't she's effectively <laughs> doing like slave labor but like right but but uh, for the time it was you know the the and i think it really it really captured that and i cannot over over oversell how much i love the flower stuff it the way that he immediately gets on board with it the way that then it transforms the the um the what is I don't can't remember what it's actually called. Sorry, my allergies are bad. The, what but, is it like the tr- the gateway? Yeah, or the, that it's got a word. And yeah, I think, but how it transforms that area that she in, which is a highly tread area that is constantly being filmed. <laughs> it's just really cool, like in complete like fog at times because it's yeah, lived in. It's really lived in, and I love I just love the way it looks, and it stands to reason because this this screenwriter. Um, has atonement as a credit which i really love yes i, I didn't mean, realize that i, I but, knew he was you know a, a british screenwriter of sorts who did a lot of uh these kinds of films i did not realize he did atonement um i don't know if there's any i mean obviously in McEwen's credited for atonement but i don't yeah. know if there's anybody else credited for right it. right but and then stephen freer's dangerous liaisons i mean dirty pretty things uh gross point not gross point blank i'm sorry high fidelity always thinking about gross point blank he, <laughs> like there's it's this, these amazing creatives and like of course i'm gonna like this so again i i am i am the per literally the perfect audience for this movie so <laughs> i do understand that <laughs> Um, yeah, and again, I, I think when it comes to, to, like, gothic thrillers, which in a sense, this is, you, you know, depending on where you want to put this, it's, it's a drama, but you could, you could put it in, in gothic thriller if you want. And it, it's always a danger to me, because it's, it, you have to build up the atmosphere, but the problem is, because these are always stories about restraint, because of the time period, these are restrained times. That is the whole... To me, that is what I, the you know, the burning thing behind Jekyll is that he is living in this time period of the wealthy being able to sin, but it's all covered up because you have the money to do so, and and you can't mix, right? A, a wealthy yeah. man could never be found in a brothel. It's it's unfathomable that Je- Jekyll has to send Mary Riley to this brothel. Because she belongs there more than he does, which of course is bullshit because he's been there and she would never. Um, But to society, he can't be seen there, she can. Mm. And that whole burning, but the risk of that is it also has to be very um, restrained, which can sometimes to me turn into a little boring and that's unfortunately how I felt about Mary Riley but yeah and it's interesting that you say that the book isn't like full on I thought it was probably like 
you know, like penetration. No, no, <laughs> but, no, but that, no, no anal, no penetration in this book. That would make sense. I, because I, I, I will say my my one want is is that it maybe be a little bit sexier. Yeah. And um, and if but if the book's not, then like I'm I'm looking for something that never exists. <laughs> oh, completely. I and honestly, watching it, especially knowing some of the casting things, like knowing that at one point it was going to be Daniel Day Lewis was like the top choice, and I'm like, oh, like it is hard for Daniel Day Lewis to not be sexy. And in some ways, I think like again, I like Malkovich in this role. I think he he's doing something. What what he's doing, nobody else would do, which is really interesting to me. Um, and I do think he he is sexy in the part. Uh, but if you put like a Daniel Day Lewis, there's there's a smolderingness to him that you could not subdue in some ways. Yeah. Uh, but watching it, I was just convinced. I'm like, oh, the, I bet the book is really sexy, and yeah. I was really disappointed because I did not find the book sexy at all. Well, if somebody literally was like, oh, there's enough here for me to make this the basis of to write my fan fiction around to plug my these characters in, then I mean, it's not just. It's not just us that right, thought right. that well, because yeah. other people were like, oh, yeah, you know what? This could use more sex. And I agree. Isn't that always the answer? I'm only human. But there is something inherently, like, like sexy about the plot. Yes. And, like, but at the same time. Like, all this temptation and will yeah. they, won't they, you know. I think what, now I'm talking myself around on some things where I'm defending things. What I like is that, like, it's always a problem because how there are so many stories out there that are, you know, it's the Jane Eyre, right? It's wealthy man and, you know, serving girl. And it's always that imbalance of relationship. And it, it is so expected. And again, that's why I'm watching it. And I assumed, I'm like, oh, I bet in the book she's like 17. And she she's not quite. And I do like that it isn't that I don't as much as I think there is supposed to be a um there's definitely affection between Mary and Jekyll I don't think there is anything sexual or um relationship-y about their relationship I think that is not so much it's not father-daughter it's not um it's not man-wife it feels um, scientist and uh, inspiration in a way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That she, he is fascinated by her because of certain aspects of her, uh, I mean, her past, but also how she has processed that and how she has turned that into what she has and how she lives today. And, but I don't feel like he is attracted to her. I don't feel, uh, he is attracted to her brain, if you will. He 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 wants to be around her because he, is inspired by her. He is learning from her and working that into, I think, his research and what he's doing. But I don't think they are meant to fall in love. I think the relationship between Jekyll, uh, between Hyde and Mary is much more, it is more sexual, but not traditionally. And I, I wish I understood that relationship more. And I don't think I fully do. What do you think is going on there? Uh, that's a big question. I, I don't know. So I think there's undertone. There's like, I get a lot of longing mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if that longing necessarily has to be like expressed sexually, but I feel like there is 
some amount of like magnetism and mm. like and like they're like really drawn to each other and and I think from from Mary's perspective because I I don't I don't really know it just it seems like like Malkovich is when he's like the good guy I guess because he's not even that good I right. think that's what's interesting too he's oh, not really yeah that good yeah no is that good. Jekyll is I mean Jekyll Hyde doesn't exist until Jekyll creates him and you have to be a monster to create Hyde. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So I think from Mary's perspective, I think there is an attraction, but I don't know if it's necessarily an attraction to the man or the monster. I think it might be an attraction to like the the mystery and the mm. and the duality and like and in the to a degree the search I guess uh, to the freedom. I guess she's yeah. attracted to the freedom. Not not just I, like I think it's the freedom of wealth, but also the freedom of being able to let a certain part of you out. Mm. And I think that that there's something inherently sexy about that. But I don't, I don't, and I think that she's, I mean, look, he's not unattractive. He is basically in charge of her. He's her boss. And her dad abused her. I don't want to go and and (laughs) connect dots here. But like, look, I can connect some dots and I connect them. And maybe it's, maybe she is attracted to him, but not in like a super conventional way. Mm, Maybe it's not that she thinks he's sexy, but maybe there's something protective and, like yeah you know mysterious i really think it's the mystery yeah something that is interesting and i guess this might be true of jekyll and hyde the novel i don't know but in mary mary Riley, the novel uh jekyll and hyde they obviously look different but they are they are different statures and hyde is a small man yeah like if jekyll is played by like liam neeson hyde is played by robert carlyle in the book like it, it's a very interesting like th- that he is a small like he is shorter than mary than mary like she says that in the book and i think that's a really interesting visual because it again it like it does this thing where it goes against way and part of this is casting and like Every Jekyll and Hyde I've ever seen, Hyde is this, you know, big, broad-shouldered, like, you need him to be sexy because he is um, supposed to be, like, the unleashed version of that. Yeah. But I like the idea of, like, oh, no, Hyde being the small man who is just as violent, just as terrifying, but doesn't necessarily have to be a, a giant Frankenstein monster, which is, I don't know, just a cool spin on that that, that makes it less... Um, standard and less easy a visual reference you have of maid and maid and and employer and and this and that it gives it that spin where it's it's not as at its face value that you think but yeah that's a good point also i think i thought of this while you were saying that i think that mary is also attracted to the fact that it seems like she is needed Mm. oh yeah yeah and no one has ever i don't think anyone has ever needed her like beyond scrubbing a floor yes and and i think that that is i like i said i think that empowers her because when she feels seen she activates in a really interesting way mm-hmm. I, yeah. I there's enough here for me to think is really interesting i think and again i wouldn't begrudge anybody like oh it's boring christine you're lame but like i don't know it's an interesting story that i don't feel you're like we get lame. we get a lot you yeah. know yeah uh, I mean, I I recommend people watch it if they haven't, because and and if you saw it thirty or twenty, you're twenty five. Well, yeah, I can't do math. If you saw it a long time ago and you had certain opinions, it would be worth revisiting, because again, if nothing else, the visuals of this are really interesting, or really beautiful, and Glenn Close is enough reason to see this movie. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. 
All right. Do you have any more to say about Mary Riley? Mary Riley. Uh, no, I, I don't. It's on HBO if you yep. have access. All right. So let's take a very quick break and uh, from Mary Riley and come back to talk about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I feel like oh you have my. to shout because that's how I think that movie is just a giant exclamation point. <laughs> well good not so good evil's the one that is free everywhere good is the one that they sell you must decide which is heaven which is hell good men maintain evil's a curse but it is plain goods even worse evil's the one that they tell you to shun Okay, so now fast forward to the rewind button for two years earlier, which was two years after. I think we have to actually go back to the source here because this is important. In 1992, a very important movie came out that I think uh, defined many of our uh, awakenings in different ways. Yeah. And that movie, of course, is Bram, Bram Stoker's Bram Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. Uh, I, I, one day we'll just do do it. I think I feel like I, it's been a while since I've sat down in like a dark room and watched that movie. Uh, but I watched it semi recently, but not very recently. Okay. So do you I still love down. it. Like you still love it, right? It's um, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. I it... I I put this on Twitter. I have a Bram Stoker's Dracula tat tattoo. Oh, nice. Like I'm been i'm 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 an og as they say like i've been repping that movie since since yeah. it came out and i well not really i was ah, I, it came out in 92 how far after it came out did you see it were you super oh, young christine christine do you not think that father in travia and mother in travia brought the four in travia children to the theaters oh. to see bram stoker's dracula because they did i saw bram stoker's dracula in the theater thank you very much i didn't see it in the theater but i remember watching it on television like maybe on fox or something like it aired pretty soon after as movies used to do and i remember my mom saying yeah you can watch it because i'm pretty sure they cut out <laughs> a part and i was like cut it what part so for the Parts, longest time rather well i think she was specifically talking about the graveyard the, thing. the wolf the wolf yeah. and the red oh yes. that's not even in a graveyard it's just in her backyard it's in her backyard um, she just happens to have like a mausoleum in her backyard it's what we yeah. all like in, in, the, in the 90s it was a different time for decorating but i and i was for the longest time didn't i had never <sighs> seen that and that full. scene is imp- <laughs> I, I mean as we've we've talked a lot on twitter about it it imprint i think like so especially a lot of horror movie female fans i know will say that is the the like sexiest moment of cinema and and i say that ties for me with um antonio banderas touching the candle and interview the vampire of another moment of that's just like i I, that which is less like less explicitly sexy but is clearly going for the same thing yeah Uh, i see i saw interview on like uncut before I saw Dracula. Dracula. So I I think I might like Bram Stoker's Dracula more, like from head mm. to tail. But I think as far as like 
sexual awakenings go it was definitely interview for me that and we just rewatched it that movie is so gay it's so gay yeah so horny it's so good yep okay i know we've talked we keep not talking about frankenstein but we will but did you know neil jordan is not gay yeah I think I never. Well, I, I, I never assumed, thought he was. I mean, because oh. uh, he, he's made. I mean, Interview with the Vampire again, one of the most gloriously gay films of the '90s, and explicit to me that movie is explicitly gay, even though it's as as gay as it can be without actually ever officially being gay. Um, when it didn't have to be, when I'm sure certain studios would have done things and said, "Why don't we just add a love interest or or something?" Mm-hmm. Um, but just between that and Crying Game and a few other movies, I just I just always assumed he seemed very interested in women's stories and LGBT stories. So I just always assumed Bill Jordan was gay. He's not. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I never had heard anything. So I just was yeah. like, eh. but that's that's interesting and cool. And I love that he is always quick to use my boyfriend, Stephen Ray. And yep. stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Just put Stephen Ray yeah. in it, and I'll show up. Now, again, none of this might you might say, "What aren't they talking about?" Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We are, but Mary Shelley's Frankenstein does not happen without the very specific, yeah. in some ways, very juggernaut success of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a it is a I mean a huge budget. It's a big director. It's Coppola doing Dracula. Uh, big cast, mixed cast of people that maybe, you know, of esteemed British actors, very American actors, maybe again, some miscasting. Love Keanu Reeves. Is he a Jonathan Harker? Probably not. He's the best Jonathan Harker. Yeah, sure. Uh, (laughs) I hate Jonathan. I hate the Jonathan character. I recently listened to a teleplay of Dracula, (laughs) and I just, I don't care what version you're giving me. I hate Jonathan. He is so obnoxious. I I think I like the Bruno Gans one in in Klaus Kinski's Dracula, but again, that's for another day. But Bram Stoker's Dracula is a strange movie. Because, and you watched it more recently than me, so you might have a different finger on this, but to me, that is a movie that is visually one of the greatest movies of all time. Music, one of the greatest, like, the music, the score, the costuming. Um, And again, the sex is there, the the chemistry is there, the the effects, the CGI in that movie is is beautiful and brilliant. And yet, there are things about it that are weirdly atonal at times and you don't know how deliberate that is and there's things about it that you can say like well yeah like it it, I can't call this the greatest movie of all time but it's one of the the most enjoyably big grand ambitious movies of all time and I love that and it does well right it's a huge hit so uh same studio Coppola is on as a producer to do uh Mary Shelley's Frankenstein uh, it goes through a couple of different directors. At one point, it was going to be Tim Burton. Um, or wait, I'm saying Tim Burton, or was Tim Burton going to be Mary Riley? I keep getting these mixed up now. Oh, I have no idea. Okay. It was definitely like a few other people were attached to it at different times. Um, but it ultimately, again, it is... For, Coppola was a producer, and I think a f- fairly heavily involved producer. Um, oh, yeah. Fun fact. Tim Burton was going to, at one point, direct both this and Mary Riley. So, so, ma- so many connections. Uh, it... Kenneth Branagh gets gets the gig. It is a script by um, Frank Darabont and yep. uh, another writer, Steph Lady, who is not a lady. I, I looked it up. I was curious. Uh, but so they, and it, this is the closer to the novel 
Frankenstein. And yeah. clearly it is supposed, it is modeled on Bram Stoker's. It is the same scope as far as those effects, as far as the costuming, the score. I was like, as soon as the first note I have is like, the score is yelling at me and I love it. Right? It is this big instrumental symphony just crashing at the screen. Um, and it tells the story of Frankenstein, which I don't think we need to recap for you, although it is very different from the Frankenstein you think of when you think of Frankenstein, because this is not a, it's a closer adaptation than probably anything that had come before, but there are still fairly significant differences at times. Um, But yeah, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Now, what's your history with this movie? When did you see it? Have you revisited it? Like maybe a year and a half ago. For the first time? Yeah, for the first time. Um, I decided I liked Kenneth Branagh for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I don't know how I feel these days. So Kenneth Branagh uh, directed my favorite uh, Marvel movie, which is Thor. It remains my favorite Marvel movie. Okay, um, I like Thor. I think, yeah. I think he is... I think he does tremendous interesting things with that movie. And, especially so, and how bad Thor could have gone. Could have been. Yeah. I don't... I, there's so much about Thor that I don't like. And I do and... like... If Thor, to me, if Thor had gone wrong, I think that actually could have derailed, the, which, I mean, in a maybe brighter timeline, that would have been okay. I think Thor, de- if a failure of Thor derails the MCU, because it was still early on in the building of yep. it, where Thor was suddenly, everybody said, I want to see more of this. And people will say that, it, some people will say it's the worst of phase one, they'll say it's their least favorite, and that's fine, but they're wrong. Um and, and that's cool. And then I watched, I, oh my god, Orient Express. I was an Orient Express stan. Love that fucking movie. And again, I will say I am of the opinion, and I know somebody listening disagrees with me, um, <laughs> that it is better than the original. I find the original Orient Express to be tedious, overlong, and difficult to follow. And mm. I have read the book, and that mm. is my opinion. Okay. So I did like the remake a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. And then, and then... <laughs> I don't know if I have many other nice things to say about Kenneth Branagh's work after that, <laughs> because I subsequently could not stand Death on the Nile. I did not sure. finish it. It was that bad. And I have watched other uh, Branagh-directed films since. Do not really enjoy them. Have you seen Dead I... Again? Yes. Okay. The direction on that is not the strong It's It's point. very big direction, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is, if you, I mean, stylistically you can look at Branagh's filmography and say like he's actually has like a really diverse filmography as a director right he did he did Hamlet he did Thor he did Cinderella like he which which is cool like that he does not seem locked into a type of movie much less a genre like just a scope of movie even um but I think there are two very clear things when you're watching like am I watching Kenneth Branagh film does the movie feel like it is like jumping at you and trying to get your attention then it's a Kenneth Branagh movie. Does the movie heavily feature Kenneth Branagh um, in uh, in glowing light? Then it's kind of a Kenneth Branagh movie. Yeah. Uh, he uh, here's the thing. Watching this, I'm like, okay, I know, and I remembered the jokes. I watched this kind of on cable sometime in the '90s, and then had never sat down and watched it beginning to end. Um, yeah, I'd see chunks of it, but I never really watched it in full until you know two days ago, and. Watching, I'm like, okay, I remember all the jokes about the, how many shirtless Kenneth Branaghs can we get in one movie. The thing that I kind of love about the unintentional meta-ness of this being such an ego trip 
of a filmmaker, of a director and star saying, like, this movie is about, I need, uh, Victor takes his shirt off in this scene, and I need to light him in this way, and I need to capture my beautiful eyes. It makes perfect sense with who Victor Frankenstein is. I agree. I think I have no problem with the way that Branagh does the character who is him in this in this <laughs> film. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with everything else. Really? I have a problem with uh, Mary, right? Is Wait, it... uh, Elizabeth or Justine? Okay, no, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Poor Justine. Sorry, I wasn't looking at it. I have a problem with the way that she's done. I have a problem with... Um, the, the monster I have a problem with I have a problem with the geography I have a problem with the pacing I I I don't you're not supposed to like Frankenstein I mean like the man you're mm. not supposed to like him so I don't I think success you don't like him yeah but like I, I was I not supposed to am I I'm not supposed to like anybody and that's true the last time I read it or listened to it being read I didn't like anybody but like not to I understood you know, I understood everybody's motivations. I don't understand anybody in this movie. I don't. I don't think it, in that case. I don't think it's a successful adaptation because it's, hmm. it it just picks what it wants, but doesn't have enough connective tissue to make you understand. I don't understand Kenneth Branagh's. Sorry, Victor Frankenstein. Um, I mean, it's interchangeable. It's totally fine. I know. I understand his motivation on paper. I do. I I don't understand it in this film, though. And I don't understand the choice with Elizabeth. And I don't... And I don't... I don't understand... I just... What they chose to show me didn't support the overall... What I believe the overall thesis of the film to be. And and thus, my favorite parts were actually the the wraparound, I guess you would say, mm. where where they're in the Arctic on the ice. My fucking favorite shit. It was. That I mean, felt, I, I I love an Arctic anything. You know that. That felt plucked out of the book, like like yeah, and it, and it is. I mean, almost like verbatim how that that plays out. Why isn't the rest of it like that? Why is the rest of it so? I guess maybe don't set that precedent. Don't be like, all right, we're going fucking for it. Authenticity. This is what we're doing. And then be like, mm, or maybe not. Maybe we're not. Well, I mean, to, to me, this is a closer adaptation than almost anything else. Oh, for sure. And the, the, I mean, the biggest part of that, obviously, and the thing that I think everybody, nobody understood going into this, because this was, it wasn't a bomb. I think it made money, but it wasn't a monster hit. It did not, like... Uh, this, I'm sure, was positioned in a way where they thought maybe they can get some Oscar nominations. Maybe yeah. it would be, like, at Bram Stoker's level. And it, it's not for a lot of reasons. But I think one big one for the film-going public, nobody understood that that Frankenstein's monster is is a character. That, that he is supposed to be a speaking, very intelligent, uh, very complicated man. And um, it was very funny reading the book because I, you know, I remember, I like, I knew it had been a while, but I, I, I knew I'm like, oh right, well, Frankenstein's monster is actually a whole thing, but like, oh no, Frankenstein's monster is legitimately the, the hero in a sense of this book that Frankenstein is is a is a monster. He is a terrible human being. In the book, he he makes his monster, and then just as soon as he comes out, he's like, ew, yuck, I don't like you. I shouldn't have done yep. that. Let's pretend yep. I never did that. And that's it. And um, 
proceeds to just be an idiot. And I think a lot of that is intentional, that he just is so... And part of this, again, is the class thing that doesn't really come up, but it's there of... He has the ability to fucking make human life and just walk away from it when he doesn't, when it doesn't suit him. Um, And that this monster he has made immediately, you know, is a kind of, I don't know what you would call him, but he can absorb, uh, kind of, he's kind of Borg-like in that way. Like, he absorbs immediately, like, oh, this is how I do that. This is how I play the flute. This is how I talk to people. This is how I do that. Um, and, and, and of course, that makes it worse, because he is intelligent, and he understands everything going on him and how he's being perceived, and the um, the fam- the chapter with the family of you know this yeah. poor family in the woods and Frankenstein basically decides like well I I can live out here and I can watch them and I can learn from them and I can take warmth from their warmth to each other and I know they can't see me because if they see me they'll flip out but you know maybe one day and they they play very similarly in in book and film which is it goes exactly the way he fixes figures it will. As soon as, you know, the, the old blind man is okay with it because he can't really see him. But as soon as the able-bodied normal folks see him, it's, he's a monster, quick, uh, turn the torches on him. And and that's all there. And again, it's it's that much harder because he, he knew. He knew, well, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm going to try. Um, maybe. I know it's not, nah, not going to work out. They're, they're going to they're gonna hate me. But maybe, and yeah, sure, of course they hate him. And I understand him killing everybody in the movie. I am, I am with him. Um, I think to me, the, the one other, um, yeah, I, I think Didier is great. I think he is working under pounds of makeup, which is not easy. And I think it is a very underrated performance. I know it wasn't thought of much, I think, at the time. Um, but I think he's really good at bringing all of that, it's it is self-aware um, despair, I think, and I think that's there. And the other, to me, bright spot of it is Helena Bottom Carter. I like I un- it's one of those things where you're watching a movie and you're like, like behind the scenes, this was kind of infamous because um, originally Emma Thompson was going to play that character, but she got cast in Carrington, written by the writer of Mary Riley, by the way, and and so then. You know, he hires Helena Bonham Carter and they fall in love and have an affair on set and get married after. And it was very, uh, you know, very scandalous at the time. <laughs> but you're watching it, you're like, but I get it. Because she, the way um, she pops on camera and the way he is filming her, like, it, it's not, li- and this is, it's not true that like every, um, you know, like sexy coupling in a movie or like the, when a director is filming, um, an actor or actress in a certain light that doesn't really mean they want to, uh, to, to, to go with her. But like in this movie, it, it, like, I get it. Like I, I can see it. Like I, it, she's to me, she is stunning and exciting and okay. Yeah. It's fucking weird that they're brother and sister. <laughs> Let's get that out. See, I don't, I think that's great. I think it should Did, be. Why do they have to call each other brother, sister? It's I very, think it should like, be weirder. Though. And I have no problem with her. And I have no problem with him as far as casting goes. I think she is, is you know, ethereal and, and like, great in all the ways she's supposed to be. I will disagree. I think De Niro is awful. And it's really? unsalvageable. It is <sighs> complete, tone and tenor, completely wrong. Not at all 
what I ever wanted or envisioned of that character. And I, and, and it is to me, I mean, it's a very complex book and there, there, the, the monster makes a lot of really good points in the book. And I'm like, yeah, I'm team monster, obviously, but then occasionally you'll go a little far and it'll be like, well, bro, chill a little bit. I mean, but the Frankensteins are assholes to him. They they are, they are absolutely terrible, but his willingness to turn his back on humanity to me is something that I can't really get behind. But he has nothing. He has tried. He tries several times and every aspect of humanity turns him away. The the family in the forest, his father, the man who made him, can't just not look at him he can't make him a companion because that would be even grosser. Like, I, I, <sighs> I completely get that. But as, as I, I'm really sorry to do this, but as an abandoned child who is a woman, like the world doesn't give a card. shit about me. They, they, they don't, yeah. the world is proven all, over and over again. They don't give a shit about me from the basis relations to like on a massive scale. I have been abused my entire life by people. And like, I'm, I'm not an asshole because of it. Like, I'm just saying, like, you know, and and I'm going to say to tie this together, (laughs) that is the Mary, it's the Mary Riley approach versus the Frankenstein's monster approach. But that, that I like, I like the monster though. And I will always side with the monster. And I, I think the monster makes a lot of really amazing points and I completely get it. And I think that, I think that abandonment by father thing is, it's just, it's a micro and macro take on it. It's like literal, but also like. From the sense of like existence, existence has has forsaken us. And I really, I really like all of that. I do not think it is present in this film. I really don't. I just don't. I don't get it. Like he, even the ten minute scene of of um of shirtless Kenneth Branagh trying to get Frankenstein to stand and not being able to, and just being so disgusted by it that he's like, "Fuck it, I'm out." No, I, I don't. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it feel, feels really self-indulgent to me. Oh, and of like, course it is. But like, but it feels self-indulgent just purely from a filmmaking standpoint, and not in a way that makes the Frankenstein character as deplorable as I believe that he truly is. As, as fickle. Some one of the things that really gets me is how fickle the dude is, and I don't know that the movie reads like that. He's so quick to just be like, this is my life's work. Is it though? <laughs> and the movie doesn't feel that way to me. Like, I, I don't know. And maybe it's just because we don't get to spend enough time with anybody. Wait, that whose life's work? That it's Victor's life's work? Or... Yeah. But, well, like, it's what it's, he's obsessed with it in the book. It, it goes on forever. He's researching and trying to do this. And then in the movie, he does it in like two seconds. And then I, mean, he's I like, thought there was a passage of like I was locked up in my cabin and there there's cholera in the streets and I don't care and Elizabeth comes and tries to bring him and he's that that far I gone that he so. can't that he won't leave. But then but then he and and but, uh, I don't know I don't know I, I think I have no problem with with what I think Kenneth Branagh was trying to do but I'm just saying for me I don't think he actually did it. Mm, that's and, fair. And I don't, and I don't think it's as tragic as the as the book reads. Well, how do you feel about um, because the Elizabeth's arc is is a bit different in the movie than the book. Uh, in yes. the book, um, the monster basically says, "I will leave you alone if you make me a woman, make me a companion, and then we're gone." Um, 
And Victor, <laughs> sure, I promise you, I'll do that. And then he um, he tries and he starts and he realizes, oh, ew, yeah, gross. If I make one, what if she's worse? What if she, what if, and he's, and one of the, I mean, the thing, the kernel that I think Bride of Frankenstein certainly takes from is I could make her and she could reject him. Or, worse of anything, I could make her and they could have babies. Which is such an an awful sentiment for him to have, because to him, that means they could destroy mankind. And we're... And again, it, I think we're, that's where class comes into me in such a fascinating way, which is... Um, and then I'm talking about the book and not the movie, but that that sense of, I can't have these two creatures... Uh, creating more creatures like them and there's something to me very classist and very um very gross about all of that uh so he and he says to uh, uh to the monster well i'm, I'm not going to do it and of course like just the hubris of and it'll be fine we're just going to go get on a boat and i don't have to worry anymore and of course, like, dude, he's been able to kill everybody around you that he wanted to. What makes you think he is not going to be able to kill your wife? Uh, and he does, uh, very pointedly, before they get to really bang, right? Yeah. Like, the that's one thing, this movie, like, that very much feels like it is trying to be sexy in a way that Bram Stoker's Dracula was so much chiller about, like, it, it doesn't, it is not as sexy as that. It tries very hard, it doesn't. And the, like, there is a very grand sex scene and it's very Merchant Ivory production-esque. Um, and very pointedly, that flute starts playing before they, if you will, fully consummate the act of sex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, the monster kills Elizabeth in a very grand way where he pulls out her heart, which is kind of metal, right? That's a cool way to kill her, I think. I guess, but what did you... I mean, that's not fair. So now he's become as bad as bad as, as Frankenstein. Yeah. He, uh, Frankenstein would not give him... The monster could never have this. But he you, knows you he could never like have this. Do you feel like that's actually led up to? Like, yes. Do you feel like that's actually built up to in the movie? In the movie? I mean, a part of that is hard to say because culturally we have all seen or experienced Bride of Frankenstein and, the, and that whole thing. That's like, a really we know good point. Nobody, nobody will have Frankenstein's monster because we have seen time and time again that is the whole idea of Frankenstein, right? Alone. Always alone. And I don't know that the movie has to work much harder to do that because that's, that's all it takes is a broken promise because that's all, all the monster wants. Give me a woman and I'll leave you alone. And... It is not just because he wants a bride. It is because he knows that is the only creature who will accept me. That is the only way I have of forming a relationship. Because the only other person in the world who should give that to me is the man who made me. And he can't even look at me. So, yes, I, I'm i fully on Team Monster's viewpoint of yeah this is the only way i'm gonna not be alone is if you if you make me a woman um and so frankenstein makes uh in in a sh- i will say and, and again i don't think this movie is visually as triumphant as kenneth Branagh thinks it is but i do find visuals in it very exciting and that staircase that spiral staircase without a ledge 
when Brana is carrying Elizabeth in this ridiculously 35-foot-long red sheet up that, that is a still that I would I would hang up. Uh, but I agree, I agree, and I don't know who I would be offending by saying this, so if I'm offending you by saying this, I apologize. But it feels like, oh, cool. Uh, it's cute that you got that in your movie, that one <laughs> thing in your movie. The movie that you're aping does it 4,500 times. Every scene is that. Every scene is a fucking still. Every scene is a photograph. And you did it once. Good job. And I, I was disappointed. Fair. Like, like, like the dude, the dude, like, I'm trying to think of a sports thing. The dude got a home, one home run. And he's like, well, I fucking did it. I did it. And I go, sir, you did not win the game. <laughs> we're still we're still down five to two I, but like and that and i think it's just a bunch of stuff like that because of course i know exactly what you're talking about a bunch of stuff like that just added up so to me i don't i don't feel connected to the monster at all i don't mm. feel like there's any any pathos or relatability i don't feel like that's conveyed at all i don't understand why elizabeth is even there technically elizabeth is 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 Victor's like motivation for everything? I don't know that I felt that in the movie, and I, I, well, I feel like because she's not at all times. I don't think, and I mean, I think that is his dark point is when she's not when yeah he need when he goes to John when basically he meets John Cleese who's fine in this movie and um apparently was like oh we can't cast John Cleese they know him for comedy it's like if you do if you can do comedy you can do one scene of drama it's fine um. But I think that is where uh, Frankenstein loses his touch with or his connection with Elizabeth is when he goes down the route of, I don't I don't care about being a scientist or being married. I want to create man. This is what I want to do. So I think he loses her then. He when he is makes Frankenstein and is so disgusted by him, he comes back. And then from that point on, I think I don't know. I think from that point on, it is his family is the thing that drives him. Because it is easy. Because when his father dies, it's that's when he says, "Okay, well now I now I have absolutely nothing." So, all right, Elizabeth, I'm gonna, I'm this is your chance. Here, here we go. I, I will make one more monster, but she's not for you, not for my monster. She's for me. And I don't know. So, do you? How do you feel about what you know? Basically, where he turns Elizabeth into the bride. Um, Elizabeth has a few moments of kind of seemingly understanding what has happened. Uh, and she looks at her two options, which is Kenneth Branagh or uh, putty face Robert De Niro. And she's like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to set myself on fire. Um, yeah, I think that that, I, I think the, <clears throat> what I'm learning here is that this movie just a hundred percent didn't work for me and felt very hollow and emotionless that I didn't care. Mm. I feel at that point I'm like cool. Are we done? <laughs> like are we gonna it, get I back to the Arctic. It's 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 a real shame. It's and maybe it's an expectation thing, you know. Like I, although I believe I had seen this movie before, I recently listened to the audiobook of Frankenstein. But maybe it's an expectations versus reality. Like I find the the story to be to be very complex and deep and emotional and and raise all these moral questions. And to me, that's what Frankenstein is, and and this movie didn't do any of that. Mm. I don't think. To me, it didn't. For me, I didn't. I didn't feel any of that. And by the time we get to Elizabeth making a choice, I didn't even think of it as a choice until you just framed it that way. 
I was just like, oh, she got all burned up and jumped out of, I don't even know. What what happened? When did this movie end? I, I was, and this is the second time recently I've watched it, and I was just like, ugh, movie. Interesting. Hey, man, you picked it. I, look, I know, and I don't disagree with it, because I think that they did go well together. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think, too, something, um, a character who's a little different in the movie, but again, to tie a bit into Mary Riley, is Justine, who, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. poor, poor Justine. If there was a character that gets shit on in this movie, it is this woman who, it's, in the book, she is a maid, right? I mean, she is another, um, or no, she is, I think she's Elizabeth's cousin, but, like, she is of a lower class, and she is, she, she's, a, yeah. she's a servant to the Frankensteins, and the same thing happens where she um, is framed by by the monster for the death of the little boy. And in the book, it's more like she's put on trial and it just, who cares? She's, you know, she was called the thing and she's lower class. We're just going to hang her. In the movie, it's a little, there's one more added element to it, which I think, again, is funny to me because it may have just been Kenneth Branagh writing a character or rewriting a character and saying, well, if there's another woman in this movie, she wants me, obviously, <laughs> right? Because Justine really wants Frankenstein. And I'm not even that mad at that. I think that that is is interesting and okay. Or, or... it's just one more like sad yeah. thing because it to me it's one more life that he destroys, yes. not the monster. Oh, yes. Yep. He is the reason this woman is there. This woman is in love with him. And obviously he doesn't, he probably doesn't even forget her name half the time. Fully. Yep. yep and yep. when right. she is caught again, when she is framed by the monster for this death, um, it's like, dude, like I understand that it's very mob violence, which is something in this movie that is there a little bit that I think is an interesting thing that's, in the movie, it doesn't necessarily pay off. It just kind of comes in, I think, two spurts in the Justine hanging and when um, John Cleese dies, which is um, there's uh, one other thing that they put in the movie, a little bit of plagues, which makes sense, just to kind of move plots along in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, John Cleese and Frankenstein are doing vaccinations at uh, just for the poorhouses, I guess. And uh, De Niro, as De Niro, as the body that gets used for the monster is just comes in and he's clearly not educated and doesn't understand that he's getting a shot of a vaccine and he ends up killing John Cleese and it's very like that scene feels very um revolt like the poor revolting over the science in this scene then when Frankenstein who seems to be the body of this man shows up in the middle of town square it's the same thing it's suddenly every but the mob after him because he is different doesn't make sense and then this moment of justine where it's just i don't know this woman killed a kid let's hang her yeah, yeah, yeah let's do it and again frankenstein not being able to stop it even though like you probably could have found a way to stop it um but just again like just one more life that gets destroyed because of him and because of what he how he lives and how he doesn't have to think of others because he has been raised to believe he is the center of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it had been like more of that, like wall to wall that just mm. wall to wall explicitly that, um, because maybe that's, oh, I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to posit what people were thinking, but I mean, if it is a vanity project and the, the person is, bad and you're playing the person maybe you make the person seem less bad 
<laughs> because it's a vain, or maybe by accident, because it's such a vain depiction, it, it, it accidentally undercuts how terrible Victor Frankenstein is. Wait, I'm not sure which way you're, are you saying? I, I'm saying that the Victor Frankenstein is more awful than the movie portrays. And I think his awfulness comes out, whether that was deliberate or not, in a way that feels not deliberate, but that pays off to me. Oh, see, I wish it was more deliberate. That's fair. Yeah. And I worry, or I worry, not worry, I don't really give, give a shit what Kevin Brown is doing, but I wonder if... Um, <laughs> like, you don't want to give him credit for um, for some of, like, him coming across bad when I think it... I don't. I guess I don't care if it was intentional. I think, for me, he comes across as a villain, and I like that he probably didn't present himself that way. But but I think it should have been more explicit, and mm. I and I wonder if that it's not more explicit because um, it's him. Sure, he's he's playing it, and maybe he he didn't want it to, or maybe it accidentally wasn't as bad, or maybe I'm looking for something more explicit in a film full of subtlety. But that's the problem. To me, it wasn't a subtle movie, no. which is why no, I, this is not. But which is why I want like I want a little bit more of an explicit view of these characters. I want you to tell me explicitly as a filmmaker what you think what this story That's thinks fair. of these characters no you know i mean that I, I i again like it's it's a really interesting because it doesn't happen often where i think you and i are on very different pages for both of these films i think i like this movie a lot more than you do you like mary riley a lot more than i do um and by no, I don't, and I think both of us, we're not disagreeing with each other on either. I think we're both no. saying we, we have really different experiences and reads of these, which is fascinating. And I, I don't disagree in some ways that um, there is a little bit of, I don't know if Branagh understood that 100% Victor Frankenstein is the villain of this movie. And he yeah. is a villain in ways that are not just that he has made a mistake, right? It's the old Greek tragedy. He's made one fatal mistake of thinking, being too ambitious, thinking he was God, making a man, yep. and then it was too late to go back. But that's not what makes him a villain to me. That That is one thing. It is not that he has made the monster. It is how he handles it after, right? It is that he abandons yeah. him. It is that he yep. has no awareness of all of the harm he's inflicted on the world by doing this and by walking away from this project, essentially, as if it meant nothing and having no sense at all of the other people that are being put in danger. Now, I guess there is, and part of this is just because how dark can you get, both the film and the book, the final chapter is him trying to tell the explorer, but, but don't be so ambitious. Like, in the book, it's laid out, like, it's very explicit, where he says, like, um, you should turn around, don't, don't do as I did, don't make mm -hmm. that mistake. Like, he does learn but it's like, well, obviously it's too late. And like, and I couldn't decide watching the movie. I'm like, I know how it goes, but I, I would, would kind of love if Aiden Quinn at the end of the movie is like, no, we're going north. We're going onward. I know I heard the story, but I can't help it. But it doesn't go that way. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, again, really, I enjoyed watching it. It also, it, 
it did feel like I was being like smacked in the face with Kenneth Branagh's torso every five minutes, but I, I didn't hate it. <laughs> it was fascinating. Yeah, I don't, I don't dis, I don't hate this movie. I just don't know that it's successful as an adaptation of Frankenstein. I, and I, uh, I, I will throw out one other thing, something Brandon and I watched about a week before I watched this. Um, we watched Gods and Monsters, which I'd never seen mm-hmm. uh, with Brendan Fraser and Ian McKellen. And it's, you know, a fictionalized account of the director of Frankenstein in his last days. Um, and so it was, you know, very much on my mind, obviously, of different aspects of of what this novel has meant. Right. Because it is um, I I when I read Frankenstein, I think it was in college because I had to take an English, one of the core English requirements um, for English majors was like different eras of literature. And I was taking one class that was supposed to be like modern literature, 1895 to the present. And Frankenstein is written, I think 1818. And the professor, really cool English professor, her, she was basically, she said the first day, she's like, look, I can't assign it to you because it's outside of the time frame of this class. But you have to understand, modern literature exists the way it does because of Frankenstein. Frankenstein, in her opinion, was the most influential novel of from that era onward. Um, and it is true. There are, in terms of concept and what what is going on there, that is all really rich, important stuff that plays out in a million different stories from that point on. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know that this is... I don't know where I would rank any Frankenstein adaptation because I don't know that I've seen enough of them recently to know. I don't think this is a a great adaptation of the book. I think it's a, but I, th- I don't know. For me, it's a really interesting, satisfying, messy, but entertaining adaptation of it. Hmm. But for you, you're, right. just, you're not entertained by this. Is that right? Uh, I'm entertained enough. I don't know. I just, it's not, I guess it's not anything enough for me. It was Mm. a little too, it wasn't dramatic enough. It wasn't sexy enough. It wasn't scary enough. It wasn't nice enough. It wasn't mean enough. It was just, it was, it just was there. And when you, when you can see that what it's trying to relate to, which would be a film that, that decided to be, very sexy and very yeah. stylized and when this didn't seem to decide to be anything it wasn't it didn't hit me over the head with a message it didn't scare me it didn't titillate me it just kind of happened in front mm. of me that's fair but like those are all um subjective things so like if somebody said this is this movie is fucking hot i'd be like well of, you yeah. clearly you like kenneth branagh <laughs> obviously but sure, why not? Well, and everything you said, as far as it's not scary enough, it's not sexy enough, it's not that, I agree with all of that. I don't think it nails any of those things. I'm just more entertained by it as a whole. And I, I, and I think I'm, maybe it's also because I, like, again, finished the novel last night, yeah. that I find it, the way it works with the novel, to me, is really interesting. But I would, um, again, I, this is, by no means a beloved film, um, but it, it is worth it's worth a watch. I don't know things I I, I liked things about it, and I I yeah. was very satisfied with this viewing of it. Yeah, I mean, I I would never tell somebody to not watch it if they were curious. Again, the stuff in the Arctic is is worth it for me. Yeah. Very exciting. Did you watch the Terror or read the Terror? 
No. Oh, you should do both. Um, the Terror was a Dan Simmons novel. Uh, it is about the Franklin Expedition that gets lost in the Arctic, and nobody ever actually eventually, like two years ago, they found out what happened. Um, but there were all stories and such. And The Terror is a fictional take on that, and it's so good a read. And they did a miniseries for AMC that's also shockingly good. It is Jared Harris, um, Kyron Hines, a few other notable Britishy people, and everybody's great in it. And it's all it takes place in the Arctic, and it's perfect. So, okay, yeah, I'm sold. My spinoff recommendation for you <laughs> was on Hulu for a while. I don't know. If, don't watch season two. It has nothing to do with season one, and it's very bad and very racist. Oh, okay. But season one is is wonderful and not racist. So, okay, cool. Yeah, recommend. Okay. Um, again, I Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, also on HBO Max. If you want to do your double, um, tell us what you think, where you land. I'm curious. Uh, just in general, I think they're two. Again, we haven't. I don't. I can't remember the last time we had an episode where like you and I were, and again, not incredibly disagreeing, no. but on very different sides of the seesaw for both of these movies. So, good times. Definitely, yes. I yeah. it was not uh, a full agree, yeah. which is which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back. I guess next time we'll do uh, what we've been watching, and then we have a special guest star lined up for the episode after that. And we'll tell you that on the next one. But we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves because you know it took us like fifty years to get to one hundred and fifty episodes. So we, you know, take be patient, folks. Be patient. Yeah, chill. Lots going on. Indeed. Yeah. And on, on that note, I guess do us a favor and don't go creating um, life if you are not willing to, uh, you know, um, not have it murder your entire family. I mean, with current events the way they are. Uh, you know, as I started to say that, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, f-. You know, we can't, can't even talk about Frankenstein without realizing how screwed nope. up certain parts of this world and country are right now. Mm-hmm. But again, if there was ever a good um, example of why we should not allow current events to happen as they are, there is yep. Frankenstein right there. Frankenstein right there. How many kids brought up babies do you want in the world? I don't want any of them. That's true. I don't either. They seem kind of horrid. Can you imagine? I don't know if Kenneth Branagh has kids, but like, can you imagine if he, I feel like he like ha, probably has like seven kids and they're all named Kenneth. Oh. Right. And like. Are you, are you saying you think that he's, he's the type of guy who's very pleased with himself? Oh, I, I have the feeling. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know the man. I, I can't say I do, but I just, you know, we'll just imagine like being invited to a child's birthday party at Kenneth Branagh's house. It just seems really insufferable. Just all a bunch of little Robert De Niro's come running out. Oh, uh, but oh, oh! Now we're going that way. I was picturing no, well, little, little tiny Kenneth Branaghs with like mustaches, and I I like that too. They're both good. What if like you have twins and one's that way and the other's that way, and he has like eight of them? Yeah, yeah. that's funny. That's I'll... like when a, when they show like like a goose. Uh, get married to like a bear <gasps> or when Kermit and Miss Piggy get married and all yeah. the girls are pigs and all the boys are frogs that's yeah. exactly how I don't it know work. why I chose a goose and a pig <laughs> a goose and a pig can fall in love but where would they live sir where would they live uh, exactly like that totally 100% okay on that note folks we love you all be safe and we'll see you again take care out there Justine
Crazy Child.